seated. Ezekiel chapter 47 and chapter 48 uh, is where we will be as we close out uh, the study through the book of Ezekiel. Chapter 47 and chapter 48 uh, is going to deal with the water that is going to flow out of the temple. And then we're going to move right into the boundaries and the division for the land. We're going to see the division and the way the division is uh, set up, the division of the land. And uh, matter of fact, uh, just kind of as a preface, there are actually three major uh, divisions. There is the division of the land, of course, in the northern portion. There is the division of the land or the portion for the prince and the Levites or the priests. And then there is the portion in the south uh, for the other tribes uh, that remain. And so we'll look at those and uh, we'll get into those in some detail. Let me do this for you. Chapter 47, I want to kind of give you a breakdown of chapter 47. Matter of fact, through the first 12 verses. Uh, the first 12 verses are actually divided up into four parts uh, when you look at the first 12 verses. Uh, verse 1 and verse 2, we'll find the source of this river uh, that is going to flow out from the temple that will be the millennial temple that will flow actually out of the throne of, uh, there inside or the, uh, uh, in, the, in the holy place of the temple. Uh, the size of the river, we'll see the size of the river. That's in verse 3 through verse 5. Uh, we'll see the sufficiency of the river in verse 6 through verse 8, and then we'll see the saving power of the river in verse 9 through verse number 12. What's interesting about this river, and let me share this with you, there's currently not a river that flows from the Temple Mount uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, there's currently not one there, and so this one will begin to flow. It'll actually come out of the temple. If you paid attention to any of the 3D models uh, that we went through, one of the uh, models had the depiction. It showed a river that was actually uh, kind of put in there to show as it flows uh, from the temple, and it will flow towards the south end of Jerusalem and out towards uh, the valleys and, and let me say this as well when you when you look at Jerusalem and when you're there even today the description of the the flow of the water follows the actual contours of the geographical as well as topographical features of the city of Jerusalem today and uh, so when you're there even where the Kidron Valley is when you stand on the Mount of Olives and look across over to Jerusalem and also understand that we also know that when Jesus Christ returns for the second time he's going to place one foot on the Mount of Olives he's going to place the other foot of course in Jerusalem and it will be uh, there will be a division that will take place there are many who think that when that occurs that's when that river uh, there are there's plenty of source of water underneath the city of Jerusalem uh, as far as springs, aqueducts, and those type of things. And so the issue of water coming forth from that area uh, is not an issue, nor will it be an issue. And oh, by the way, let me just say this to you as well tonight. If God decides there's going to be a river that's going to flow from the temple, okay, down through the valleys, it's going to happen, okay? And you can just rest assured it's going to happen just according to what the scripture says but let's go to verse 1 through verse 8 and uh, we'll just read down through these verses and notice the description that we have here the size of the river is described now it's interesting because the actual uh, size of the river is described in a manner that's totally different uh, from the process of measurement that's been used throughout the temple complex and so this 
this means of measuring is going to be completely different here in chapter 47 verse 1 so he brought me back to the door of the house and behold water was flowing from under the threshold of the house toward the east brother would you do me a favor brother mike would you slip back here and just close these two doors for me thank you then he brought me back to the door of the house and behold the water was flowing from under the threshold of the house toward the east for the house faced east and the water was flowing down from under from the right side of the house from south of the altar and so he brought me out by way of the north gate and he led me around on the outside to the outer gate by way of the gate that faces east remember the gate that we saw that faced east or the east gate of the temple complex and behold water was trickling from the south side when the man went out verse 3 toward the east with a line in his hand he measured a thousand cubits and he led me through the water water reaching the ankles again he measured a thousand and led me through the water water reaching the knees again he measured a thousand and he led me through the water water reaching the loins again he measured a thousand and it was a river that I could not ford for the water had risen enough water to swim in a river that could not be forded and he said to me son of man have you seen this then he brought me back to the bank of the river and now when I had returned behold on the bank of the river there were very many trees on the one side and on the other and then he said to me these waters go out toward the eastern region and go down into the Arabah then they go toward the sea <clears throat> being made to flow into the sea and the waters of the sea become fresh four identical thousand cubit distances were measured that we see in these verses by the angel and basically what it does if you, if you watch the progression it shows you the deepening of the river as you proceed southward from its trickling coming out to its first measurement that you see in verse number three and at each thousand cubit interval he led Ezekiel into the water with him and notice his response in verse three he led me into the water and guess what the depth of the water was it was ankle deep okay the angel takes Ezekiel and takes him on another thousand cubit journey down this river and at the next thousand feet or thousand cubits verse 4 we'll see now that it came knee deep and then he took him another thousand cubits in verse number 4 and it was waist deep loins there is to the waist okay so you have ankles you have knees and you have waist right and then when we come to verse number five verse number five measured another thousand cubits and now this time Ezekiel says it's enough to swim in As a matter of fact he said it could not be forded in other words you couldn't walk across it you would have to swim across it all right and so you see the progression of this river as it flows as it trickles out first as it makes its way down every thousand cubits of course the river begins to deepen verse 2 is interesting 
because when you look at the end of verse number two and behold water was trickling from the south side this trickle from the sanctuary soon became a flowing stream or river that would flow and make its way uh, and reach the south side of the eastern gate right and as it begins to make its journey and its path What's also interesting about this river that is going to flow, the life-giving power of this river uh, is presented in this vision of fruitfulness, food, and also healing. Um, look at verse number, well, I'll tell you what, let's read verse 9 down through verse number 12, all right? And so it will come about that every living creature which swarms in every place where the river goes will live. And there will be very many fish, for these waters go there and the others become fresh, so everything will live where the river goes. And it will come about that fishermen will stand beside it from Engedi to Enegleum. There will be a place for the spreading of nets. Their fish will be according to their kinds like the fish of the great sea very many but its swamps and marshes will not become fresh they will be left for salt by the river on its bank on one side and on the other will grow all kinds of trees for food their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail they will bear every month because their water flows from the sanctuary and their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. The water of the river ultimately as it makes its way produces the fruitfulness of the trees because it brought life and it brings life from the very sanctuary of God himself that we see in verse number 12. There's some, there's some words here in these verses, some locations that uh, you may not be familiar with, uh, but let me kind of maybe help let you kind of understand and realize where this is flowing from. The water continued its flow down to the Arabah that you see in verse number 8. These waters go out toward the eastern region and go down into the Arabah. Um, and let me let me explain to you what the Arabah is. Basically, what that is, that's a name that once applied to the whole Lower Jordan River Valley, in that that whole area. Matter of fact, it included and includes the Dead Sea, and then south onto the Gulf of Aqaba, all right, or Eilat. So that is the area that we're talking about here of the Arabah. So this water is going to flow out. It will eventually make its way, and it will make its journey down towards the Dead Sea. So now it's going to make a little bit more sense when you look at it. Now, today, the name Arabah refers to the flat plain that continues south from the Dead Sea between the mountains of Transjordan on the east and the mountains of Judea on the west, connecting the Dead Sea region with the Gulf of Aqaba. So that whole area, that whole that whole region, and matter of fact, when you travel in that region over there, one of the other things that you see here is in verse number 10. You see it also speaks about En Gedi. 
Anybody familiar with En Gedi in the scripture in the Old Testament? Anybody know anything about En Gedi? How many of y'all remember David? All right. Uh, in the caves of En Gedi. Uh, when you stand there in En Gedi and uh, you look out across, you can look out across the plain to the Dead Sea uh, and actually see the Dead Sea in that plain area. So what Ezekiel is seeing here is that very region around the Dead Sea, the Transjordan area, all of that area out through there uh, from the west side of the Dead Sea across over to the Transjordan area on the east side of the Dead Sea. And uh, so when you see the Dead Sea, let me say this to you. When, when we say nothing lives in the Dead Sea, nothing lives in the Dead Sea, okay? There's nothing alive there. But they are starting to notice something that is interesting. Life is starting to appear around some of the north edges of the Dead Sea. I wonder... Uh, is God in control of these things? And he is. Okay? And so is the Dead Sea going to give back life? You better bet you it is. What did Ezekiel see? Matter of fact, there's going to be fishermen that are fishing in the Dead Sea. Matter of fact, life is going to come. The water is going to be made fresh. Except for the swamps and the marshes. They will remain salty, but the other areas of the Dead Sea will become and be made fresh. Fish will live, life will live, trees will live. You know, by the way, there are no trees growing around the edges of the Dead Sea today. But I can tell you this, just hold on. Things are getting ready to change, all right? So what will happen is this water is going to enter the Dead Sea, probably at the northern end near where the Jordan River empties into it today. Matter of fact, the Jordan flows into it as it comes down out of the Sea of Galilee. If you get a map of Israel and look at it, as it flows down out of the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan flows right on down to the north side of the Dead Sea, and the Jordan River empties into or runs into uh, the Dead Sea on the north end of the Dead Sea. Now, the sufficiency of the water that is going to flow out of this river from the throne of God is evidenced by the fact that no additional elements were needed to produce life, fruit, transformation, or healing. It is all going to come from the waters of this river. There is nothing else needed. There is nothing else that is going to be necessary. All of this will be supplied by the waters themselves of this particular river with the life-giving water from God the barren becomes fruitful the dry becomes nourished the empty becomes filled the bitter becomes sweet the unhealthy is healed and the dead is made alive that's what's going to happen as this river makes its way as this river will begin to flow out of the temple of God and flow down into the region in verse 9 through verse 11, as we read just a few moments ago, the healing and the saving power of this water is demonstrated by the revitalization of the Dead Sea. If you look at verse 9, notice what it says. It will come about that every living creature which swarms in every place where the river goes will live. And there will be very many fish. For these waters go there and the others become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. And it will come about that fishermen will stand beside it from Engedi to Enegleum. There will be a place for the spreading of nets. Their fish will be according to their kinds, like the fish of the great sea. And notice what it says, very many, very many. 
on the banks of the Dead Sea. Fishermen that are seen in Ezekiel's vision will stretch their nets all the way from En Gedi to En Gelium. En Gedi is located at the midpoint of the west bank of the Dead Sea near Masada. And so when you're there, you go up to Masada, you can look out from Masada across the plain, and uh, you can see all of this as well. And this is all on the west side of the Dead Sea. So all of this is visible, and all of this can be seen uh, from there. Everything that you see here in Ezekiel's vision, um, the description presents a picture of the life-giving, healing, and life-sustaining properties of the water from the sanctuary. And, and it's flowing from the sanctuary. And keep in mind, you know, here's, here's the, okay, here's the difference between the temple in Ezekiel's day and the temple prior to here. Because one of the things that Ezekiel saw in the vision was when the glory of the Lord departed from the temple. But guess what he saw as we begin to make our way into chapter 40. One of the things now that Ezekiel sees in the vision is when the glory of God begins to flow back into the temple. And oh, by the way, it's not leaving again. And so when this water flows out of the temple of God, makes its way down towards the Dead Sea, everything that is by that river, everything that that river touches will come to life. Why? Because it is the life-giving power that comes from God himself that will occupy that river of water that will flow. Whatever the water touches, from the parched earth in the Judean wilderness to the toxic mineral water of the Dead Sea is given life. And if you've ever been to the Dead Sea, it's dead. It is absolutely dead. And, and you know, and I can all, okay, every time, every time I go through here and, and I study this and I read this back, I want you to understand, it's going to come to life that whole Dead Sea area, that whole Transjordan area on the west side of the Dead Sea, it's going to come to life. The barren land is going to turn fruitful. The Dead Sea is going to be populated with fish. Men are now going to stand on the edge of the Dead Sea and fish. Never has happened before. Until God touches it. The vision of chapter 47, verse 1 through verse number 12, is one of the most compelling expressions of hope for life in the Old Testament. It, it's, it's the most when you go through and you read it. You know, the vision of a healing stream issuing from the temple, fertilizing the desert, changing the bitter waters of the Dead Sea into sweet rest on some natural and some spiritual conceptions common in Ezekiel's time when you look at them. God himself is the giver of all such blessings that flow from his presence because this will flow, this river will flow out of the very presence of God. And this new kingdom envisioned by Ezekiel, the millennial kingdom, included a new temple, a new way of life, a new quality of life, and in this final vision, a new land. Can you imagine the millennial kingdom? 
Can you imagine Israel under the millennial kingdom? <laughs> a new temple, a new way of life, a new quality of life, and a new land at the hand of God himself. This land will be new not only in quality but also in the arrangement of the tribal units that occupy it. Israel is not going to look like it does today. Israel is not going to look like anything that it ever has looked like. Because one of the things that I want you to keep in mind as we make our way through these next verses, as you come to the end of the book of Ezekiel now, one of the things you're getting ready to see take place and transpire is exactly what God promised to Abraham in the Abrahamic covenant. You see, the Abrahamic covenant is going to be finally in all of its fulfillment. It is going to come to play during the millennial kingdom. Because from verse 13 of chapter 47 all the way through the end of chapter 48, we are going to take a look at the division of the land and the way the land is going to be divided out. What is also interesting, we're also not only going to see the division of the land, but there are also some gates that we're going to see in chapter 48, beginning in verse number 30. And so if we were to take the next part of chapter 47 and chapter 48 and to, and to lay them out, and I'll be more than happy to share these with you at the end, okay? Or once again, if you want the notes from tonight, just let me know. I'll be more than happy to send them to you. But let me give you a kind of a, this final section of Ezekiel is divided into some different uh, parts. Matter of fact, there are seven different parts. And let me give them to you kind of real quickly, okay? Number one is the boundaries of the land. That's in chapter 47, verse 13 through verse 20. We see the boundaries of the land. In chapter 47, verse 21 through verse 23, you see the allocations of the land. The equitable allocations of the land. In chapter 48, verse 1 through verse 7, you see the allotment for the seven northern tribes. The allotment for the seven northern tribes. Chapter 48, verse 8 through verse 20 is the allotment for the sanctuary, the Zadokite priest, and the Levites. Verse 21 through verse 23 of chapter 48 is the allotment for the prince. Chapter 48, verse 23 through verse 29 is the allotment for the five southern tribes. And then verse 30 through verse 35 of chapter 48 is the description of the gates and the city. Yahweh Shimon, the Lord is there. So let's go back to chapter 47 and let's pick up in verse 13 through verse 20. Chapter 47, this is the boundaries and the division of the land. It begins here. Thus says the Lord God, this shall be the boundary by which you shall divide the land for an inheritance among the 12 tribes of Israel. 
Joseph will have two portions. One of the things that you will not see is Joseph's name here. That's because Joseph is going to be identified by two different tribes. When Joseph was in Egypt, Joseph married an Egyptian woman. And when Jacob was getting ready to die, he had Joseph bring his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, to Jacob. And Jacob bestowed a blessing on Manasseh and Ephraim. And you will see them throughout the Old Testament. Matter of fact, you'll see them in the New, in the book of the Revelation. You'll see sometimes Joseph is mentioned, sometimes Ephraim and Manasseh are mentioned, sometimes Joseph and just one of them. Uh, but so now at this point we're given information to let us know that Joseph is going to be identified by those two which is Manasseh and Ephraim verse 14 you should divide it for an inheritance each one equally, equally with the other for I swore to give it to your forefathers and this land shall fall to you as an inheritance under the Abrahamic covenant this shall be the boundary of the land on the north side from the great sea by the way of Hethlon to the entrance of Zadad. Hamath, Berathah, Sibrium, which is between the border of Damascus and the border of Hamath. Hazar, Hadakon, which is by the border of Haran. The boundary shall extend from the sea to Hazar, Enon, at the border of Damascus. And on the north, toward the north, is the border of Hamath. And this is the north side. The east side from between Haran, Damascus, Gilead, and the land of Israel shall be the Jordan. From the north border to the eastern sea you shall measure. This is the east side. The south side toward the south shall extend from Tamar as far as the waters of Meribath Kadesh to the brook of Egypt and to the great sea. This is the south side toward the south. The west side shall be the great sea. From the south border to a point opposite Lebo Hamath, this is the west side. So you shall divide this land among yourselves according to the tribes of Israel. You shall divide it by lot for an inheritance among yourselves and among the aliens who stay in your midst, who bring forth sons in your midst. And they shall be to you as the native born among the sons of Israel, they shall be allotted an inheritance with you among the tribes of Israel. And in the tribe with which the alien stays, there you shall give him his inheritance, declares the Lord God. Chapter 48, verse 1. Now we begin with the divisions. This is the allotment of the seven northern tribes. Now these are the names of the tribes from the northern extremity beside the way of Hethlon to Lebo Hamath as far as Hazar Enan at the border of Damascus toward the north side Hamath running from east to west Dan one portion the tribe of Dan you see in verse number 2 beside the border of Dan from the east side to the west side is Asher one portion beside the border of Asher from the east side to the west side Naphtali one portion and you'll see them they're stacked up okay all through there all seven of them are stacked up with their boundaries all of the tribes verse 4 beside the border of Naphtali from the east side to the west side is Manasseh one portion 
beside the border of Manasseh from the east side to the west side Ephraim one portion from the border of Ephraim and from the east side to the west side Reuben one portion beside the border of Reuben from the east side to the west side Judah one portion beside the border of Judah from the east side to the west side shall be the allotment which you shall set apart 25,000 cubits in width and in length like one of the portions from the east side to the west side and the sanctuary shall be in the middle of it so you will have Judah the tribe of Judah the sanctuary will be in the middle of it in the allotment that is given to Judah the allotment that you shall set apart in verse 9 to the Lord shall be 25,000 cubits in length and 10,000 in width so verse 10 begins the allotment for the priests or the portion for the priests the holy allotment shall be for these namely for the priest toward the north 25,000 cubits in length toward the west 10,000 in width toward the east 10,000 in width and towards the south 25,000 in length and the sanctuary of the Lord shall be in its midst and it shall be for the priest who are sanctified of the sons of Zadok who have kept my charge who did not go astray when the sons of Israel went astray as the Levites went astray priests of Zadok will be the ones who will take care and tend to the ministering and the service of the Lord in the temple during the millennial kingdom and then you see in verse 13 <coughs> down through it you will see all of the remainder and all of the portion for the priests right all the way down through verse number 20 when you come to verse 21 through verse 22 you'll notice there's a portion for the prince the remainder shall be for the prince on the one side and on the other side so let me tell you what you're going to have you're going to have Judah you're going to have the priest you're going to have the prince and you're going to have the, the temple all of it in one area alright and the temple's going to be in the middle of it and so all of these will surround the temple and everything that is going to take place there in the temple as well as the city of Jerusalem. Verse 23. And now you're going to have the portion for the other tribes. As for the rest of the tribes from the east side to the west side is Benjamin one portion beside the border of Benjamin from the east side to the west side Simeon one portion beside the border of Simeon from the east side to the west side Issachar one portion beside the border of Issachar from the east side to the west side Zebulun one portion beside the border of Zebulun from the east side to the west side Gad one portion and beside the border of Gad at the south side toward the south the border shall be from Tamar to the waters of Meribath Kadesh to the brook of Egypt to the great sea this is the land which you shall divide by lot to the tribes of Israel for an inheritance and these are their several portions declares the Lord God what is interesting here is you look at the division of the land inside of the millennial kingdom of God you'll notice that the division of the land now is substantially different than what it was when the kingdom was divided between the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah in the northern kingdom of Israel ten of the tribes went to the north 
with Samaria being the capital. So 10 of them was north of the city of Jerusalem. When you look at the southern kingdom of Judah with Jerusalem being the capital in the divided kingdom, there were only two tribes in the south, and that was Judah and Benjamin. That was the only two that were in the south. But now as you see this division, we have all of the tribes now that have been listed that are in the north, and then we have these that are listed in the south. One such as Benjamin we see there, okay? But you see Simeon, and you see Issachar, you see Zebulun, and you see Gad. Each of them that are listed that were not part of the southern kingdom when the kingdom was divided. But now all of this land is going to be allocated. All of this land is going to be given by division based upon the inheritance that is going to come through the Abrahamic covenant that God promised to Abraham back in Genesis chapter number 12. The land is yours. And God is going to fulfill it to its completeness. But here's something else that's interesting. When you come to the end of chapter 48, you see these gates. And these are the exits of the city. On the north side, 4,500 cubits by measurement shall be the gates of the city, named for the tribes of Israel. Three gates toward the north. The gate of Reuben, one the gate of Judah 1 and the gate of Levi 1. And notice now on these gates, one of them now is called the gate of Levi. It's called the gate of Levi. Twelve tribes, twelve gates. Most of the time that you see the tribes of Israel listed, the Levites are not listed. And matter of fact, that's why when you go through the Old Testament, sometimes you will see... 12 tribes you'll see sometimes 13 in the list sometimes you'll see 14 in the list and sometimes you'll be back to 12 it just depends on the way that they're listed especially if Joseph is split out between Manasseh and Ephraim and whether or not the Levites are included in that list or not that's why you have I hear people say this all the time well there must be a contradiction in the scripture because they can't get it right when it comes to the 12 tribes of Israel we come up with 14 in some places 12 in others and then in some places there's only 10 so which is it all the above okay it's the context. You have to look at the context to determine which ones are there. Well, guess what? Well, we kind of run into it when we look at these 12 gates because now one of the gates is going to be called Levi. So verse 32, and on the east side, 4,500 cubits shall be three gates. The gate of Joseph, one. The gate of Benjamin, one. The gate of Dan, one. And on the south side, 4,500 cubits by measurement shall be three gates, the gate of Simeon, one. The gate of Issachar, one. The gate of Zebulun, one. And on the west side, 4,500 cubits shall be three gates. The gate of Gad, one. The gate of Asher, one. And the gate of Naphtali, one. Twelve. With Levi being one of them. But you will notice that Joseph is given one of the gates. So now instead of 14, you have 12. Because Ephraim and Manasseh are part of Joseph. And so Joseph now, there is no contradiction in the scripture. It makes very clear sense that these 12 gates, of course, 
are going to be for the 12 tribes of Israel. So let me kind of conclude with all of this tonight. If the book of Ezekiel teaches us anything, of all of these weeks we've been going through the book of Ezekiel, if the book of Ezekiel teaches us anything, it teaches us that we must honor God's name and magnify his glory. And it's a privilege for us to do so because of who he is. What brought Israel so much heartache? It was in their disobedience. It was in their turning their back on the very power and glory of God himself. And they suffered as a result of that. The glory of God departed from the temple because, because Israel defiled the temple. Do, do, you, do you understand that when you make your way into the Old Testament and, and after the days of Solomon and all that took place in the temple, after the days of Solomon and the temple was, or, or, or the kingdom was divided uh, between Rehoboam and Jeroboam and all that began to take place as a result of that division, the priesthood became corrupt. The temple worship became corrupt. The temple was defiled. That was the condition, that was the condition of the temple. So therefore, why did the glory of God depart from the temple? It's very simple. Because the very temple, the place where God was to reside in the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat of God was, had been defiled. And so therefore, the very presence of God left that place. I will say this to you tonight. The worst place you can be in your Christian life is a place where the glory of God's departed. But, but, here comes the glorious part. The glory of God returned to the new temple because it was holy and a place where God could dwell. Why? You ready for this? It had been restored. It had been brought back to the place where God could be with his people they shall know that I am the Lord that statement is found throughout the book of Ezekiel over 60 times why do you think that is they shall know that I am the Lord see there's a day coming when every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Don't wait till it's too late. We need to do it now. That is the book of the prophet Ezekiel. What a power. What a powerful book. Well, glory, brother Mike. Well, glory. I trust that it has been as much of a... I just hope it has been just an encouraging journey for you through the book of Ezekiel as it has been for me. And let me tell you what it shows. 
what you see throughout the book of Ezekiel is this, is the very long-suffering of God himself. Now I understand why it's recorded for us in the New Testament. God is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the God we serve tonight. Amen. Praise the Lord. It gets sweeter as the days go by. Amen. It gets sweeter. All right, let's stand together. We'll be dismissed in a word of what's next. You know, I knew somebody was going to ask that question. I hate to tell you this, but I don't know yet. <laughs> Honestly, I do not know yet. Uh, I will be much in prayer. So next Sunday night when we meet together, if you want to find out, you'll have to be here. Amen. We're going to quit doing anything online. Live stream. We're going to shut down all live streams, so you'll have to be here. Just kidding. All those folks who are on, uh, watching live stream, it's okay. All right. <clears throat> That was a joke, okay? We'll continue to do so. Let's stand and we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. Trust that you have a wonderful week this week as we look forward to all of the things that God has for us. And uh, if you've got something that you would love to see, you've got a question or something that you would love to have answered from Scripture or just a direction that you would love for one time for a pastor to travel down, if you will send that to me, I'll pray about it. Not going to make any promises, okay? But let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the prophet Ezekiel. Father, I can only imagine what it must have been like for Ezekiel as he saw all of this. As he was able to see into the future, into the millennial kingdom. And Father, as we here today have the privilege to be able to read and study your word, Father, our hearts tonight are encouraged with the blessed hope of one day being able to be a part of that. And so, Father, we pray now that you would dismiss us with your love, keep us safe as we travel home, bring us back the next appointed time. We ask all of this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. And you're dismissed.